Josh here, and I'm just going to pray before we look at God's Word together. Father God, I pray that we would hold fast to your Word and remember that it's unchanging and that it's got amazing truths for us to apply throughout our lives. And in this time of uncertainty, when we remember that and remember that your Word is always good and you're always trustworthy. Amen. Today, what we are essentially going to be looking at is paradox, which is two things that appear contradictory but that turn out not to be. Firstly, one paradox would be this statement this sentence is false. Now, that statement, this sentence is false, whatever it's true, then it's false. But then, if the statement is false, then it's true. I probably quite confused you with that one. So let me tell you some more relatable examples of paradox that you might know. The more you learn, the more you realise how little you know. I have certainly realised that the more I study theology, the more I realise how vast the subject is and how God is so far beyond our understanding. We can only really get glimpsed of who God is in this life. Perhaps a very relatable one is the more you try to impress someone, often the less they are impressed. I certainly found that growing up at school sometimes. I want you to store that idea of paradox in your head and by the end of this talk you should understand the paradox that we're looking at today. But we're going to start by reading John chapter 12 from verse 1 to 11. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about half a litre of pure nard an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Now if you're anything like me, you're wondering where did Mary get perfume that was worth a year's wages from? Did she have some sort of magic money tree? Well, not exactly. She either could have had some sort of family heirloom, which is the perfume, sort of antiques wojo style, or perhaps Mary was just from a wealthy family. We don't know exactly, but it could have been that she was from a wealthy family. Let's continue. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there, and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. 
So the chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. The first thing that immediately stands out in this passage is Mary's extravagant act of devotion, which broke so many social norms. Examples of breaking your social norms today might be queue jumping, you jumped a queue in the UK, you might be tutted and scorned at. Or similarly, staring at someone for an unusually long time. That person might think, oh, are they into me? Or, oh, what are they looking at? Those thoughts might be going through their head. Similarly, this extreme act of devotion by Mary broke a number of cultural norms. Women at that time would not have been able to let their hair down in public and would only have been able to do so in front of their husband. In Luke chapter 7, the act of putting a hair down in front of someone was condemned by a Pharisee. Therefore, Mary putting her hair down in front of Jesus, in front of others, was a cultural risk. But she did it because of this extravagant act of devotion she wanted to show and hoping that those around her would understand. We also read that the entire house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. This reflects the fact that Mary poured roughly 330 grams or 11 ounces depending on your chosen unit of measurement. This same story can also be found in Mark chapter 14 which gives us extra details and insights into the passage. In Mark 14 you read how Mary broke the jar containing the ointment or the perfume and poured it over Jesus' head. So it was likely that Jesus had the ointment over his whole body, but as we read in John chapter 12, Mary only used her hair to clean Jesus' feet, not his whole body. Now, the next point we come to is an interesting one in the passage. And at first, it might seem like Jesus has a point when he says, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? You know, Jesus cares for the poor and wants the best for them. But why was he? Why did he allow Mary to serve him in this way? Well, there's two key things here. Firstly, you cannot put a value, financial value, on the anointing of Jesus. If you present a pleasing gift to Jesus, then you have honoured the highest king. And what a great thing to do. This was a magnificent sign by Mary, showing her gratitude and appreciation that Jesus was with them. And secondly, if anyone were deserving of such a perfume in all the world, then it was Jesus. No one else is worth anointing. In that same way. So yeah, it was right, it was honourable for Jesus to be anointed in this way. One way I think we should be careful as not interpreting this passage is supporting the idea that Jesus is somehow ambivalent towards the poor, just have this sort of mm attitude, I don't really care. 
This is definitely not what Jesus is saying. And at the end of verse 8 in the passage, when you look in the Bible, you should have a little footnote which links it to Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 11. This passage in Deuteronomy 15 is commanding generosity towards the poor with regard to the Sabbath year. Now, what this was is every seven years in the promised land, debts are released. And this passage in Deuteronomy is calling for lenders to still lend out land, even if the debt will be cancelled that the person who's being lended it to owes in a very short period of time. It's calling for generosity. And the link between this passage and Deuteronomy chapter 15 shows that Jesus is still calling for that kind of generosity for those who have less than ourselves. Lastly, you may be wondering what is this relevant to this story today? Now, we can't honour Jesus in quite the same way because we don't have Jesus physically with us in physical form. But we can still see that this is an amazing act of devotion and worship. And something that can easily be misunderstood in our society. Each week, a group of us from Bible College drive into Bournemouth on a Saturday evening and for a couple of hours we will walk round and offer homeless people a pot noodle and a hot drink and offer to pray for them. Earlier this year when we were doing this in January we spoke to one man and he knew his scriptures really well and he had a real heart for looking after the poor and looking after those in a similar situation to himself. But one thing he didn't understand is the biblical idea on worship, or why we meet, because we want to honour Jesus as the highest king. We can still do that. We do that by meeting as a community on a Sunday and praising him in all that we do in the service. And, so, and this can be quite hard to understand for people outside the church. But it's really important that we make sure everything we do is an act of worship towards God. Now I want you to keep in mind that idea of paradox. When we look at John chapter 13 from verses 1 to 17. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So yeah, Jesus has all things under his power, and then look what he goes on to do. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel round his waist. After that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to summon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realise now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, 
you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who had the bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew he was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. And this is amazing that Jesus knew that Judas was, was going to betray him, but still he washed his feet. So when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Now firstly, what we need to understand from this passage is that the culture around foot washing is very different 2,000 years ago to how it is today. And I'm glad for it, as if I walked into a church now and one of you had started washing my feet, I'd feel very uncomfortable. Um, I might freak out, I might be like, what are you doing? I've got quite smelly feet actually. However, previously, it was normal to walk around in sandals, and as a result, you'd enter someone's house with dusty feet. And therefore, it was the job of the lowest servant in the house, or sometimes even a slave. Often, Jews would not even let Jewish slaves wash others' feet and would give the task only to Gentile slaves or children. Therefore, Jesus took the lowest position in society and served others. What particularly interests me about this passage is this conversation Peter and Jesus had. And Peter was probably saying what a lot of the other disciples are thinking. And he says in verse 8, No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. The disciples would have known the connotations culturally of what Jesus was doing. And they would have revered him as, and honoured him as a teacher, a lord and master. Not seen him as a servant. But we need to allow ourselves to be washed by Jesus, just as Peter did. And ultimately, if Peter couldn't accept that Jesus was going to wash his feet, Jesus was going to act as a servant. And how could he ever accept what Jesus would later do? By dying. By death on the cross. If you can't accept Jesus washing your feet, how can you ever accept that Jesus would be scorned and ridiculed, mocked, and taken to death on the cross? And in doing so, he did it all for each and every one of us. We need to accept that Jesus lost his own dignity for us. 
that's quite an interesting way to think about the cross and perhaps we don't do that enough that Jesus gave up every societal expectation but he acted as a servant to serve others and so that we might live and we might find life now the closest I have come to experiencing this lack of dignity was when I was on holiday in Iceland now you may be aware that Iceland has a number of warm hot tub like pools due to the geothermal activity on the island so on holiday we went to a famous one called the Blue Lagoon but what you may be unaware of is that the changing rooms have no privacy in Iceland essentially when you're getting changing into your swimwear you do so in front of everyone else so in doing so I felt like I had to throw all my Britishness aside and I had to do that and I had to lose all the awkward feelings I might have about getting changed in front of other people to enjoy the geothermal hot springs now similarly but in a much more significant way we have to accept that Jesus lost all his dignity on the cross to serve us now I want to come back to that central idea of paradox that we're looking at and perhaps you've realised it already but in the first passage we looked at in John chapter 12 we read of how Jesus was served as a king as someone who is worthy of a perfume worth a year's wages what a gift, what a sacrifice what an act of worship and then in John chapter 13 we see Jesus being served serving others we see Jesus as a servant king putting others above himself and showing us how to live he had all things put under his power and yet he chose to wash his disciples feet and Jesus in doing so came to dwell among us he came, he came to earth and dwelled among mankind to show us today and throughout history how we should live how we should serve others but also how we need to remember that we need to accept this lack of dignity that Jesus had culturally it was shocking lastly I want to look at a verse in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15 and it's a really powerful passage and a verse that I think really speaks into this theme and idea we've been looking at and it says this through Jesus therefore let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise the fruit of lips to openly profess his name now as people we have a habit of going away from the altar and I know we don't need don't need sin that sacrifices anymore because of Jesus' death on the cross but we still in response to what Jesus did need to offer our lives as a sacrifice to him and that's difficult 
Because often, you know, I do silly life. We feel like doing our own thing. Going our own way. Even when we might know that that's not what God wants for us. But he wants us to serve him. Now that's a continual challenge for us today. How can we best serve God? Let's just pray that we'd surrender our lives to him. And that that wouldn't change throughout our circumstances. Or our emotions wouldn't shape or change that at all. That we'd have a steadfast hope. A steadfast commitment to serving God. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we'd serve you wholeheartedly. No matter what situation we're in right now. Whether we feel like there's actually not many practical ways I can serve others at the moment but I pray you'd open those doors that we may all be part of your kingdom and I know we all are but I pray for opportunities for us to spread that and for it to grow and for us to build your kingdom here on earth may we live as your servants and live wholeheartedly our lives out for you. Amen.